Well, we are, for the new year, going to do a teaching series that's going to be all about casting vision. January is always a great time to cast vision. It's a, it's a new year. We've turned the page. We're, we're, we're thinking about what's going to happen next. As Fran talked about earlier, we're, we're, we're thinking about New Year's resolutions, and we're hoping our exercise machine doesn't turn into a coat rack, right? That's, uh, that's the hope. So... So for this teaching series, we're calling it Eyes on the Prize, and you can see on your bulletin and you can see up on the screen, uh, just love that graphic that Shannon put together uh, with, with the eye fixed on the trophy, Eyes on the Prize. But, but to really understand this, let's go to Philippians, if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 3, and I want to just read this passage that was written by Paul and kind of talk about what it meant for Paul and what it means for us. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so this phrase, eyes on the prize, means that you are focused on the goal, that, that you are focused on, on, on moving forward to whatever it is that lies ahead of us. And so the first question is, well, what is the prize? What was Paul talking about here in terms of pressing on towards the goal for the prize? Well, the prize is obtaining everything that God has for us. Obtaining everything that God has for us. And so just before this passage, Paul was talking about knowing Jesus. He said, I want to know Jesus so bad. In fact, he said that I want to consider everything else as rubbish so that I could know Jesus and the power of of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. So part of obtaining everything that God has for us is knowing Jesus, knowing him in power, knowing him in our sufferings, knowing Jesus. It's also about fulfilling God's purpose in this life. He says, I want to lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ laid hold of me. And that means that all of us have to ask ourselves the question, what did Jesus lay hold of me for? What did Jesus intend for my life when he grabbed hold of my life and transformed me and turned everything upside down? What did he intend for my life? And then Paul was also referring to experiencing the resurrection, right? That we're all going to die, but as followers of Jesus, we know that when we die, we're going to be resurrected in perfect bodies, and we're going to live for eternity with Jesus, That's the prize of the upward call of God, the heavenward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the prize is obtaining everything that God has for us in this life and in eternity. So how did Paul keep his eyes on the prize? Well, first off, he stayed humble, and he always recognized that he hadn't arrived yet. Right, The moment we think we've arrived, the moment we think we've checked off every box in Christianity is the moment we stop pressing forward toward the prize. And we just sit down and we stop moving. We've got to stay humble and realize we haven't arrived yet. We've experienced some great things, but we haven't laid hold of everything yet. We need to keep pressing forward. He was willing to let go of the past. 
He said, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Did you know that the greatest hindrance to future success is past success? Right? Because when we have past success, we romanticize the past success and we settle for the past success and so we don't press forward for the future success. We've got to be willing to celebrate our past successes but not settle for them, to continue to press forward for the next thing that God has for us. He knew what he was going after. He knew what he was going after. It's important. We've got to know corporately as a church, what are we going after? And that's why we're getting into this teaching series. We also need to know as individuals and as families, what are we going after so that we can focus our energy on going after it? And then Paul was a man that did not let distractions get him off track. Paul was like a horse with blinders on. He could only see where he was going. He didn't look to the left or to the right. He just pressed forward to what was in front of him. And so as we move into this teaching series, we're going to spend these next few weeks talking about, as a church, what is the prize? What is the vision that we are pressing towards? What are we fixing our eyes on? And what is it going to take for us corporately to move forward towards that prize? And so for today's message, we're going to call it paradigm shift. Paradigm shift. And as always in our messages, we like to boil our message down to one sentence so that we know what we're getting into in our teaching. And so here's our one sentence. It's in your notes in the bulletin is as a church, we are committing to a paradigm shift so that we can achieve everything that God has planned for us. As a church, we're committing to a paradigm shift so that we can achieve everything that God has planned for us. And you say, well, what are we talking about here? Well, back in October, I listened to this teaching, and this teaching came from the Albin Institute, and the Albin Institute is an organization that's now a part of the, uh, the School of Divinity at Duke University, but prior to that, it was an independent organization. And, and basically, for the last 45 years, they've been studying churches and helping churches by sharing information and understanding what works and what doesn't work and everything like that. And so I listened to this teaching from the Albin Institute on this concept of church paradigms. And, and they broke churches down into four paradigms, and you're going to see you've got the four blanks in your notes there. And the paradigms were based on Sunday attendance. So this didn't have anything to do with how old the church is or how long it's been around or culture or anything. This just had to do with the size of the Sunday attendance. And so what we'll do is I'm going to give you all four of these, and then we're going to break them down and talk a little bit more about it. So for churches whose Sunday attendance is 50 or less, they call that the family paradigm. For churches that are about 50 to 150, they call that the pastoral paradigm. For churches that are 150 to 350, they call that the program paradigm. And for churches that are 350 or more, they call that the corporate paradigm. So we've got family, we've got pastoral, we've got program, and we've got corporate. 
Now, I want to focus on the two in the middle because this is what's relevant to our discussion. Family churches are really small churches, and generally in really small churches, pastors come and go quite frequently. And so it's actually one or two families in the church that have the most influence in the church because they've been around for a long time, and people know that the pastors don't stick around, so it's the families that have the influence. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the corporate church, and these are churches that are growing towards megachurch status, and so they have to really function corporately uh, in, order to, uh, in order to work that way. You see, there's a misunderstanding about churches that people think that a big church is just a small church that got more people in it. But that's not actually true. A big church is organized completely different and runs completely differently than a small church does. And so that's why we have these different paradigms for these different sized churches. But let's break down the two in the middle, and then I want to talk to you because there was a couple of things that came out of this teaching that just kind of rocked my world, and I want to share with you why. But let's talk about the pastoral paradigm church, this church whose Sunday attendance is about 50 to 150. We're going to go ahead and call this the pastor does everything model. All right? The pastor does everything model. In this context, church members expect to have their spiritual needs directly met by their senior pastor. So everything that happens at the church, the senior pastor is almost always there. So whether it's a prayer meeting, a a, a Bible study, a, a group here, a ministry here, it's expected that the senior pastor is present at almost everything that happens. The pastor is also available in times of need or crisis. The pastor is trying to maintain a sense of family where everybody knows each other because this is important. Once a church grows to a size where everybody doesn't know each other like family, or even once a church grows to a size where the senior pastor doesn't know everybody personally, the church at that point fundamentally changes, right? And so in the pastoral church, the pastor is trying to maintain this sense of family where everyone knows each other as family. So the desire to know everyone and to minister to each member individually often makes it hard for a church to progress out of this stage. Churches will tend to stay in this stage forever because, again, in order to grow bigger, The church has to fundamentally change, and so the desire that everybody knows everybody and that the pastor is able to minister individually and personally to every member of the church means that most of the time churches stay in this stage. The problem is that pastors become stressed when that upper limit of 150 is reached because it now becomes too difficult for that pastor to know everybody and to minister to everybody. This size of church is about the largest that one primary leader can manage. And so what will tend to happen in a church is if the church is reaching people for Christ and people are getting saved and new people are coming into the church, is old people will tend to leave the church. And I don't mean old by your age. I just mean old by you've been at the church for a long time. Old people will leave the church because the pastor now doesn't have enough time to minister to them, and the church always tends to stay in this range of about 50 to 150 people. 
Pastors with strong interpersonal skills tend to thrive in this size of a church or in this type of a church paradigm. So that's the pastoral paradigm. Now let's talk about the program paradigm church. The program paradigm church functions under what I'm going to call the team of teams model. And in this type of a church, the need for a relationship with the senior pastor is supplemented by programs, hence the name Program Paradigm Church, is supplemented by programs that help feed people spiritually. How does that happen? Cells of activity are headed up by staff and lay leaders who adopt some of the pastoral functions by looking after the spiritual health of those who volunteer within their department instead of expecting one single senior pastor to do it. And so whatever ministry department you serve in, whoever leads that department is now helping to shepherd you and care for you. Whatever small group you go to, that small group is now helping to care for you and shepherd you. Uh, All of those types of things begin to happen in this pastoral, I mean, this program paradigm church. So what does that mean for the senior pastor then? In this paradigm, the senior pastor spends a large percentage of their time leading leaders and making plans to ensure high-quality programs. This means that the pastor spends time recruiting, training, supervising, and evaluating other leaders while attempting to keep morale at a healthy level. The pastor gives a high priority to the spiritual and pastoral needs of other leaders so that the programs that they're leading and the congregational health doesn't suffer. And so it's this team of teams model. What does team of teams mean? Well, it means we're all one big team together. But within our one big team, we have lots of smaller teams that are all functioning. And so we're one big team made up of lots of smaller teams. And all the smaller teams working together cause the church to be able to grow and expand and be more effective than it was before. The pastor is still available to the congregation, especially in emergencies, but has much less time for social visits and to get to know each person on a very individual level. So the senior pastor's main role is to help unify the church around a well-defined vision and mission, helping the church to work towards meeting specific goals and objectives. Pastors who derive a sense of satisfaction out of individualized pastoral care would struggle in this kind of a church. A pastor in this kind of a church has to be good at vision casting, team building, and administration. You say, okay, great. Well, well, what are we talking about here? Well, here's the thing, and then this is the, the beginning here of talking about how this kind of rocked my world. Is the Albin Institute, through this study and through developing these paradigms, said that transitioning from a pastoral paradigm church to a program paradigm church is the hardest transition for any church to make. And for that reason, like I said, most churches stay with a Sunday attendance of about 100 people. And they'll stay that way for the the duration of of that church's lifetime. And in fact, they went a step further, and this is where it really shook me, is the Albin Institute said that without the support of the board, most pastors who attempt to lead churches through this transition will get fired. That's how hard it is to go through this transition. And that's why when I listened to this study, I was so thankful for the support of the elders and the board, because I am certain that without their support, I would have gotten run out of here last year. That's how difficult it is. And the next slide, Antonio, it says, as a church, we've been stuck in limbo between these two paradigms. 
And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, well here's the thing. Kauai Bible Church, to the best of my knowledge, has always been a pastoral paradigm church. Certainly for the last 26 years under the Walkers, but I'm willing to bet that even before the Walkers, throughout their whole history, Kauai Bible Church, we have been a pastoral paradigm church. And if you think of Merv and Dar, and you're talking about interpersonal skills and loving to be with people and build personal relationships with people, man, that was their wheelhouse. They were amazing at that. They were so gifted at that. For me, every church I have ever served at has been a program paradigm church. Everywhere I've ever gotten my ministry training has been at a program paradigm church. Everything I understand about churches functioning has been at a program paradigm church. And so when I arrived as the new pastor and began to function as the pastor, I just began to function out of my experience and what I knew. And so without knowing it, I was taking the church through this transition from a pastoral church to a program church. I wasn't doing it on purpose, and we weren't talking about it like this is what we were doing, but that's what was happening. And that's why I said when I studied this, it really rocked my world because it really helped me understand a lot of the struggles that we've had over the last two years and, and why it's been a challenge. So where are we going with this? Well, it's not really a secret because it's been printed in your notes since you got here. But where we're going with this is this. As the elders of the church, we've been praying about this. As the board, as the staff of the church, as the leadership team of the church, we've been praying about this, and we've been discussing this, and, 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 and this is what we want to talk about, is that in 2020, we are committing to completely making the shift from a pastoral paradigm church to a program paradigm church. And I know I just talked about that this is difficult and it's hard, but I want to do it. And we're going to spend the rest of this month talking about maybe what that will look like. And even before this service is over, I'm going to answer some of your questions about what that will look like. Because I don't want you to leave here with anxiety. I don't want you to leave here with any fear about what that's going to look like. But first question I want to answer is why. Why do this? Kauai Bible Church has been around for 45 years. And the pastoral paradigm has been in place for 45 years. Why try to transition now? And to do that, I want to go to the Word, because the Word of God has every answer we need for life. Amen? If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. This is one of my favorite passages on church structure. I'm sure I've read it to you before in the past, but I want to read it again, and I want us to go through this together. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 11 through 16. And it says this, and he, the he being Jesus, and he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. 
But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So let's break this down and let's answer the question, why make this shift? Why put ourselves through the trouble of making this shift? Well, the first point in your notes is this, is because it's biblical. The pastor does everything model never appears in the Bible. It doesn't. This structure is biblical. Let's go back and read it. It says, He, Jesus, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. This is referred to as the five-fold ministry gift, right? These are five offices of leadership in the church or five offices of leadership in the, the big C church, right? The, the, the universal church. People function as apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's also interesting to note that this is the only place in the entire Bible where the word pastor appears. Only place. I find that fascinating. Why? Why is this leadership in place? Is it to do everything? No, look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The team of team structure is the biblical structure that God puts gifted leaders in place not so that they can do everything and not because they're the only ones that are anointed for ministry or because they're the only ones that can do it. No, God puts gifted leaders in place so that they could train up the body of Christ so that all of us together can do the work of ministry, so that all of us together can build up the body of Christ. This is the biblical model. Why make this shift? The second point, is because it positions us for greater spiritual growth. It positions us for greater spiritual growth. So in verse 12, it says, For the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. Right? Paul is talking about us growing to maturity. And then in verse 14, he says, As a result, we're no longer to be like children tossed around by different doctrines and fooled by the manipulation of man. But instead, we speak the truth in love and we all grow up into all aspects of Jesus Christ. This positions us for greater spiritual growth. Why? Because when we do ministry... And we don't just sit back and watch the professionals do ministry. But when we all do ministry, it stretches us and it challenges us and it forces us to grow in our faith in ways we've never have before. And when we're all doing ministry together and we're all ministering to one another, we're all growing at a greater rate. And we're not just dependent on making an appointment with the pastor to go have a talk about spiritual growth, we're all talking with each other about spiritual growth and moving towards spiritual growth. So why make this shift? Because it's going to position us for greater spiritual growth. Why make this shift? Because it positions us for greater numeric growth. Greater numeric growth. Right in verse 16, 
He says that when every part in the body is fitted together properly and when every part in the body is doing its part, what happens? The body is healthy and growing and full of love. Healthy and growing and full of love. When we're all working together, doing ministry together, the body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so this is going to position us for greater numeric growth. And you say, well, why do we want greater numeric growth? Well, let's talk about a dream that has been on the heart of this church for almost 17 years now. And that is the dream of building a new facility on this property that we have over here. I've sat down and talked with some of our older church members who have been here much longer than 17 years who were here the day that property was purchased, who were here the day the vision was cast that we would have a a new facility on that property that would be visible from the freeway and would have an amazing impact on the area. And I've talked with some of those older members who have said to me, I'm starting to lose hope that I'm even going to be alive to see it. Well, here's the thing. Our average Sunday attendance right now at Kauai Bible Church is about 100 adults and about 25 kids. So about 125. That's not enough people to build a new facility over there. It's not. And honestly, it's not enough people to even need to build a new facility. We all fit in this one. In order to have enough people to build a new facility over there, we need to have probably 200 adults in attendance on Sunday, maybe 250 and 50 to 75 kids in our children's classrooms. And when we're bursting at the seams and we can't fit any more kids in our children's classrooms and we can't fit any other cars in our parking lot, and and then it's going to be like, we need a new building. So why grow numerically? Because I want to build that new building. And I know that almost every single person in this room wants to build that new building. And to build it, we've got to grow. And to grow, we've got to structure ourselves to grow. The other reason why we should position ourselves for numeric growth is because the more people that are coming to church and finding Christ as their Savior, that means less people are going to hell. And I don't know about you, but I am super passionate about less people going to hell. I don't want this church to just be a country club for those of us that are already comfortably going to heaven. I want this church to be a place where we are growing heaven and shrinking hell with every person that we win for Jesus Christ. So we want to position ourselves for greater numeric growth. And why make this shift? The last one in your notes. It positions us to achieve our fullest. In verse 13, Paul said, We would come to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We want to achieve our fullest. We want to achieve every purpose that God created this church for. We want to see every prophetic declaration that has been made over this church, we want to see it fulfilled. Prophetic declarations, such as that we would raise up missionaries and send missionaries all over the world. Prophetic declarations that that our children's ministry would, would be reaching droves of children. Prophetic declarations that that, that we would impact parts of the island and people on this island that have never been impacted. It positions us to achieve our fullest. 
Why? Because as we're all working together and as we're all growing together and everyone is utilizing their gifts, we're going to have the capacity to do so much more and to reach so many more people. I want to invite the worship team to come back up today. I want us to pause for just a moment and let this sink in. I want to share a few more things today, so I'm not quite done yet. But like I said, we're going to be spending the next four or five Sundays talking about this. And so if you've got questions, don't worry. We're going to, we're going to answer them. But more than your questions, I'm worried about your fears. Your fears of what's going to become of Kauai Bible Church. Your fears of what's going to become of, of me and my family. Your fears of what is it going to look like. And so I, I want to take some time to talk about those. But before I take the time to talk about those, is I want us to take some time to bring those fears to the throne of God. And to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to come and help us to process this. God, what is this going to look like? And what does this mean? And where is my place? And where am I going to fit? And God, I'm scared. Or God, I'm anxious. It's okay that we can bring those emotions to God. And it's okay that we can process those things. So will you, will you stand with me? We're just going to sing a song. And you can sing the song along with us, or you can just take this time to just come to the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I need your help in this. To say, Lord, I hate change. Come on, that's most of us. Lord, I hate change. Lord, I'm scared. Lord, I love Kauai Bible Church, and I want it to succeed. God, will you comfort me and reassure me that we're going to succeed doing this? Holy Spirit, come right now and minister to our hearts. Holy Spirit, come and speak a word of encouragement. Speak a word of reassuring. For those that are excited about this vision, maybe they're not scared, they're excited. God, begin to download vision into them of all that they're going to be able to do as you move through Kauai Bible Church. But most of all, Lord, I pray for unity. I pray that we do this together. I pray that we process our fears together. I pray that we find our place together. I pray that we encourage one another. We lock arms. And we say, we're going to do this. We're going to storm the gates of hell. We're going to reach more people for Christ. We're going to grow spiritually like we never have before. We're going to grow numerically larger than we've ever been before. We're going to stand together in a new facility on that property, a beautiful facility with beautiful children's classrooms. And a sanctuary large enough to fit hundreds of people. And a parking lot where we can all find a place to park. And it's going to happen before another person in this church dies. Jesus, help us to stand together. Let's worship together and just bring everything you've got before the throne of God right now.
Caroline just reminded me, and in fact, Caroline, I wasn't going to have you come up here, but now I am. Because now that I'm up here, I know that I don't remember every detail as well as you two. So I'm going to ask you to share this briefly. Briefly. Hallelujah. Okay. But Caroline just reminded me actually of a prophetic dream she had about two years ago. And as I was just sharing this vision, it just reminded her of the dream. And so I want you to share what you remember from it. Whenever God has me to say something, it's like if I don't say it, I'm going to have a heart attack. And my heart doesn't stop beating until I say something. Like, So to, to, when Pastor first came here, I had this dream. And um, he had, a, had like this body. And he was training everybody up to be leaders. And that was the name for everybody. It was a leader. And, um, and um, every person was such a leader that he trained them, all right, now you're going to go out. And there was a storm coming. There was a hurricane on the way. And we knew that the, every, the, the whole island was going to be without power. But every leader in the, every single person in this church was a leader. And um, they were in charge of their neighborhood. And so for us, it was our whole neighborhood. And everybody in our neighborhood was looking to us to lead them. And so that's what happened. The storm came. We all gathered here together, and then we went out, and the storm came, but everyone here was a leader, and, and every person had just prevailed in their whole neighborhood. That's what it was. So that was, that was it. Amen. So, yeah. Thank you. So I'm sure there's lots of questions, and by all means, you can ask me. You can ask any of our elders, any of our staff. Um, and then, like I said, over these next four weeks, we're going to keep painting this picture. But there were two questions that I thought maybe were most paramount that I would just try to answer really briefly before we dismiss this morning. The first question is, well, what is this going to look like? Like, what happens now? And I want to assure you, like, we're not going to all wake up tomorrow morning and Kauai Bible Church is going to be radically different. It's not. It's not like tomorrow morning I'm going to stop taking your calls because I'm going to be like, sorry, I don't do that anymore. That's, that's not going to happen. I still know everybody in this church personally. We're not that big yet. But what is going to happen is we're going to begin implementing this team of teams model. And what that's going to require is raising up a lot of team captains to oversee all of these ministry teams and all of these pockets of ministry that are going to be happening in our church and all over the island. And so that means, first off, my primary role as your primary feeder isn't going to change. I'm going to continue to be the primary feeder. I'm going to preach most Sundays throughout the year. But in addition to that, I'm going to spend the majority of what I would call my office time raising up leaders, meeting with team leaders, shaping the vision and the strategy of the church, starting to raise up team captains. And so I might be coming to you sometime over the next month and saying, hey, I see leadership in you. I want to raise you up as a team captain, and I'll talk to you about what that process will look like. And you'll freak out and say no at first, then you'll go and pray about it, and the Holy Spirit will tell you you have to, and we'll do it. Amen. And that means that all of us as church members we're all going to start getting challenged to get more involved in the work of ministry. We're all going to get more challenged to find our gifts and use our gifts. But that's the first thing that you're going to notice primarily. 
is a concerted effort to start raising up leaders, raising up leaders to the point where we've got ministry teams and there aren't any paid staff members running them. They're being run completely by volunteer leaders and volunteers in the ministry team, and they're all functioning in that way. I think the other question that might be strong on people's hearts is, well, what about our pastoral care? We've been coming to this church for 10, 20, 30 years. We're used to having pastoral care from our senior pastor. Well, what now? Well, first of all, I'm still going to be available. I'm just not going to be doing everything. We have a team that consists of myself as one of the elders and three other elders. So we have a team of four elders along with Pastor Danae as a part of our pastoral team. The five of us who are all biblically and spiritually qualified to shepherd and provide spiritual care. And we all will. And so that personal touch and that personal care, it's still going to come from me, but it's also going to come from the elders. It's also going to come from Pastor Danae. But I think the other important principle that we have to embrace as we go through this transition is that to grow bigger, you've got to remain small. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, as the church grows bigger, and as a church grows bigger and you don't know everybody so it feels less personal, you've got to stay connected on a small level. And so that's going to highlight the need to find your spiritual care and your spiritual growth through the groups that you're a part of. And so belong groups are going to become so much more important. Rooted groups as we launch those this year. The ministry teams. So even as the church grows bigger, you stay connected. And through church research, you know the number one factor that determines whether somebody stays connected at a church or not is whether they're involved in a small group. It's the number one factor that determines. And so whether that small group is a belong group or a rooted group or a ministry team or a combination of any or all of those, it's going to be important for all of us to get connected on a small level. You know, a lot of times when people say to me, well, you know, I'm just, I'm feeling really disconnected from the church. I'm feeling really isolated. I'm feeling like people don't care about me. The first question I'll ask is, well, what small group are you a part of? And most often their answer is, I'm not. And so it's going to be so important that we get connected on that small group level and, and see some of our needs met in that small group level.